Hey honeys, this is your host Marissa. Welcome to the Honey Health and Wellness Podcast. Get ready to unlock your full potential as I dive into all things health, wellness, spirituality, and self-development. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. So I have Zoe Klein on the other end of me today. So Zoe is a yoga teacher and psychotherapist, and she is the founder of her yoga studio, Zoga. I love that name. Genius. (laughs) Um, She's also a Nike yoga teacher with a focus on holistic well-being, helping people to improve their self-esteem and discover a greater sense of purpose. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Amazing. I mean, I think what I find so intriguing about the work that you do is that you're a psychotherapist and you're a yoga teacher. And I feel like that is a really unique combination. And I just wanted to know like what what came first? So were you a psychotherapist first or were you a yoga teacher first? Yeah. So I've been teaching yoga for a pretty long time, just a little shy of a decade. Yep. Uh, But I've only been a psychotherapist for sort of just over a year now. Wow. Good on you. Yeah. Definitely been in the yoga space for a lot longer. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really kind of traversing the therapeutic landscape now is, is a new thing, which is really exciting. And I'm really enjoying the change and, and kind of learning something new. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's, what's so great about that combination, I guess, is that you are working with people literally in like such a holistic way. So you've got, you know, background knowledge on obviously mental health, and then, you know, you move into that physical uh, realm of things. So can you, is it, tell me a bit about yourself. So how did we do, how did we get into yoga? What's your journey into yoga? I was particularly excited to get you on because I have just started doing yoga. Mm. Um, I would, yeah. Oh, it's a Welcome. real struggle. <laughs> it's actually like really hard. Like it's like, it's hard. It's a mental game. Like I'm like, I'm not at the point yet where I'm loving life, but I'm, I'm very like persistent and I keep going, but yeah, I just, I feel like so many people that I speak to about yoga, they want to get into it, but they express the same concerns as me. They're like, it's just so hard. So have you, <laughs> have you always been just really, you know, in that kind of energy space? Like you're a bit more calmer and you loved, you know, it straight away or what was your journey? <laughs> How did we get here? Yeah. <laughs> well, the short answer is absolutely not. Okay, okay. That gives me um, hope. <laughs> yeah, I would say that I, I definitely have been where where you are now. Um, yeah. You know, I, I grew up in a very, you know, straighty 180 family, no, no kind of spirituality or any of this kind of woo-woo well-being focus, as I think, yeah. you know, many, many people can relate to because it's very much an emerging space mm-hmm. um but yeah I I kind of um I like I used to work in advertising and marketing so interesting yeah so that was sort of where I started in my early 20s in terms of a career and uh yeah I sort of did that for a couple of years with the help of my dad who was very much in the same industry and yeah I, I enjoyed it but as I was sort of you know working this nine to five and sitting at my desk and and actually was very good at it because I'm a very sort of A-type organized person. Mm. There was just this little niggle in the back of my mind, like surely this isn't it. 
Mm -hmm. I'm in my early 20s. I'm looking at the people who are sort of a few steps ahead of me career-wise and I'm just thinking like, is this my life? Like, is this just what I do now? I just come Mm -hmm. to this office for, you know, 40 to 50 hours of my life every week and and kind of climb the ladder. And a part of me was like, well, yeah, I guess, because that's what's been modelled to me, right, through my family Mm. and my brothers and my dad and But then there was this other part of me that was sort of a little bit louder that was like, I just don't know if I'm willing to settle for this. And, and, and I guess sort of, I I can't remember the exact timing, but um, I went on a trip to to India. It's a very cliche story, but went on a trip (laughs) to India with my boyfriend at the time and tried my first yoga class and absolutely hated it. Like found Mm. it just so challenging. (laughs) My body was quite stiff and, you know, really struggled with it. And, and then, yeah, I, I'm again, I can't really remember the exact timeline, but, you know, when I was back and sort of questioning life and my career and my purpose and all of these things, kind of yoga reemerged. And it was just at the beginning of when all of these sort of boutique yoga studios were starting to open. Mm-hmm. You know, there's probably only one or two in Melbourne. And I, and I went there and I, I just st- I kind of started studio hopping and then really started to find my groove with it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I decided to go and do my teacher training just because I was curious about the practice. And to be honest, I just wanted a holiday from my full time job. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I went and did my 200 hour teacher training in Cambodia for four weeks. And yeah, came back and I don't know, the stars just kind of kept aligning for me. I ended up leaving my corporate job and taking on a studio management role for a, a really big yoga studio in Melbourne and Sydney. And that sort of meant that I could use my my management skills, my marketing, my advertising skills, but also be in the wellness space and to teach as well. So yeah. that sort of was my first little dip into the industry and then did that for a couple of years until eventually I just went on to teach yoga full-time. So, yeah, Amazing. and, and sort of here I am now. Um, so, yeah, I definitely started off, you know, very fresh. Yeah. Confused by the practice, but just, yeah, something kind of hooked me in and I think – yeah, just the way that my life was unfolding, it just it just all fell into place and here I am. It just worked, yeah. I mean, look, I think, you know, as someone who's been on both ends of the spectrum, like what do you think is the common misconceptions around yoga? Because, you know, personally getting into it, I think I went into my yoga practice with a very almost masculine energy where I'm like, I've got to move, I've got to uh, 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 like A plus B and all of that. And I was like, let's just move. I have to be like the best at this. And it's like, I think it just even like in that, like that's how a lot of people enter the practice. And that's, I feel maybe why so many people dislike it. You know, it's only until I recently, you know, I switched yoga studios and she was like, you can't push your body. Like you need to like, you need to move with the body. And it's, it is just this, you know, I guess in society, we have more of that masculine drive, that masculine force on things. So, um, yeah, what do you think is like the trick to understanding the yoga practice? And like, what is the basis of a yoga practice? You know, what should we, there's really not a sense of like, you need to accomplish something in yoga. It's more just coming in, I guess, a kind of a way to release almost like what, what do you, what's your take? Yeah, so I love hearing that. I love hearing this, um, yeah, I guess masculine quality of, of mm. because that's it, right? Like we live in a very <laughs> masculine culture, so it makes a lot we of do. sense that we often do approach things from this very kind of masculine energy. But I think the biggest misconception around what, what the practice of yoga is thinking that yoga is a physical practice. 
Right. (laughs) In some sense, you know, in this modern world that we live in, the the physical yoga practice that people go to in the studio and, and in some ways become attracted to is a really beautiful doorway because it gets people on the mat. And then the teacher has this opportunity to perhaps sprinkle in some of the yogic philosophy or, or some of the deeper ideas or philosophical notions of what it means to practice yoga. But mm. because of this, because the entryway in our sort of Western world really is the physical practice of yoga, people think that, you know, to practice yoga is to be really flexible and to be really strong and to be able to move through all of these complex postures or strong shapes or balance on their hands or handstands and all of these things, which of course are included in the practice of yoga, but they aren't the yoga itself. The real yoga is something far more subtle than that. You know, Mm. yoga is our ability to presence our mind and to meet stillness actually as a Mm. way of recognizing that this body and this mind that we are in is not separate from the universe or from life or the world Mm. but in fact that we are kind of bound by one collective consciousness and it sounds very sort of woo-woo and especially to to the person who perhaps hasn't dipped their toe into the philosophy of yoga but Mm. You know, in some ways, and especially in the tradition of yoga that I practice within, which is the tantric tradition, is that the do- the body is the doorway, and yeah. that when we can really learn to intimately connect with what we're experiencing internally, we can start to recognize how connected we really are to the external, and how really yeah. it's all kind of it's all one big emerging process. So yeah. Yeah, hopefully that kind of answers your question. It's it's a pretty challenging question to answer, actually, in just yeah. a few moments because the practice of yoga is thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. And mm. I think another important thing to mention is that, you know, really these yogic practices were designed to cease the cycles of suffering, recognising wow. that when we suffer, it's usually an internal process. It's not so much what happens to us, but the way that we respond to what's happening around us. Yeah, And so the, the, the practice of yoga is to learn how to transcend these limiting qualities of our own mind and to recognize that, you know, if we just kind of sit back enough that everything's okay, you know, that yeah. everything's unfolding as it should. Yeah, there's like a level of, um, you know, awareness that you need to bring to the mat when you when you practice yoga. And I think, you know, I, I think this is like such an important, um, you know, a message and like prelude to people who are looking into getting into yoga because yeah it does absolutely shift your perspective when you have this understanding of it's so much greater than just stretching your legs and like being in an uncomfortable position like you know even um working with the breath during yoga and like moving your body in time with your breath you know i think it's just um like you say it's a very ancient tradition like there's so much that goes into it so um, yeah, that's why I'm just so, I'm just so curious because, you know, it is so uncomfortable when a lot of the times when you are on the mat, but I guess it's in those moments of discomfort that you have to find stillness. Would you, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I think the to be more specific about the physical practice of yoga, mm. it's a metaphor, it's a metaphor, right? If we can mm-hmm. be on our yoga mat and be witnessing or, or kind of feeling into a really uncomfortable experience. Mm. then we can start to understand a little bit more how our mind responds to challenge. 
much. And when yeah. we can utilize the skill of breathing deeply and sort of relaxing in the face of discomfort, then all of a mm. sudden we can transfer these skills off the yoga mat and into life so that when you have that difficult conversation with a friend or when, you know, you meet a really unexpected, tumultuous, turbulent time in your life, you can come back to these really subtle internal skills that will help you to find that sense of balance. Yeah, amazing. And I guess on that note, you know, how how would you say other than your yoga practice, like what are ways that you cultivate happiness in your own life? So, you know, you have such a, you know, amazing background being, you know, a psychotherapist and also practicing yoga. What have you found to like the most common things that people struggle with and what do you implement in your own life to implement stillness and a sense of um, happiness? That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, just a, just a small question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's pretty layered, right? I mean, mm. for me personally and, and what works for me won't work for everyone, but I guess the way that I attempt <laughs> to cultivate more happiness or to move towards happiness, recognising mm. that it's a forever moving target, right? And yeah. happiness is just a fleeting state rather than a constant Mm. Um, but um, I guess my journey has really been around aligning my life with my values. So, mm-hmm. um, I think if I look back on hindsight in this sort of career trajectory that I'd been on, what I recognize now looking back is that when I was working this nine to five job, I wasn't living in alignment with what I valued. Mm-hmm. I really value freedom and expression and creativity and helping others. And I sort of felt like I was in this job that really didn't allow me to, to live in that way at all. Mm-hmm. And so now, very slowly, step by step, I've started to create some small and some huge changes in my life that now allows me to really live in alignment with what I believe is important. And through that process of sort of setting up a really steady foundation or structure to stand upon and to live on top of, that my capacity for happiness and my capacity for joy is mm-hmm. so expanded because the foundation of my life is really built upon things that I believe in. Mm -hmm. So that sort of answers one half of your question in terms of happiness. The other one is around self-awareness. And I think that that for me really comes down to practices. So, um, and, and I guess the reason perhaps why I've been drawn to, to both yoga and psychotherapy is that both of these practices are in service of the same goal, which is increasing self-awareness or increasing or expanding awareness. And so mm-hmm. these practices in my personal life are really important. I really value, you know, moving my body, whether that's a yoga asana practice or whether it's some, you know, any other kind of movement, because it's the same thing, right? Movement can be such a great metaphor for challenges in life. What does it mean to go for a run and really push your limits and be able to double down on your breathing techniques and all of these Mm. things? So that's how I learn about myself, pushing myself sort of to my edges through really challenging yoga postures or through other forms of movement, surfing, exercise, whatever. Yeah, I also um, have a breath-based practice and I have a meditation practice, which, you know, to be perfectly honest, absolutely ebb and flow. At the moment, I'm really out of out of flow with my meditation practice. Mm-hmm. But I think a part of the broader yoga practice is just also being okay with that and just trusting yeah. that I'll make my way back there. Um, but things like journaling for me are really, really important for cultivating self-awareness. I think when you can get the voice in your head out onto the page, it creates such a potent space for reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, and then therapy, right? Having a therapist that I love and trust and feel like I can really open myself up to who can reflect back to me my my own blind spots. Yeah. So 
and and I guess just sort of thinking on the fly here, I think relationships for me are really, really important in both cultivating self-awareness and happiness. Mm. Because, you know, human beings, are, we need community, you know, where we, we need community to survive. Yeah. And so for me, having really sort of stable and robust and healthy relationships help me to be the best version of myself, you know, and, mm. and to and to practice giving and receiving. Mm-hmm. Um and also to cultivate joy because I'm an extrovert and I really love being surrounded by Are you others. really? So oh, yeah. that's yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, for people listening to that, you know, what I think values is a really important point that you touched on there. And I think not a lot of people um do a lot of work around that or even know that it plays much of a role in how you you plan out your life. Like there is so much power in um, understanding what your values are and then, you know, building your life on top of those values. So what are ways that people can come in touch with understanding what their values are? Is there a way that you have come to discover that? Is it just through self-reflection, through your practices, such as, you know, speaking to a therapist so yeah like how how can people understand their values and then how can people move forward to you know create a life that makes sense to them Mm. yeah it's a good question and and something that I sort of work with my clients on really often just because I I believe how important it is I mean to, to give a really basic answer there are so many online resources and tools that people can can head to to sort mm. of figure out what their values are because that's the first step right it's just getting really clear like what are your non-negotiables in life like what like who is the person that you want to be in this lifetime who is the the person that you're aspiring to show up as in this world Mm. and you know for some people it's just a matter of kind of getting a list of values up which again head to google there's a million a million of them there yeah and and just kind of feeling into what really resonates and and really recognizing that no two people should have the same values you know yeah. everyone values different things because your values essentially emerge based off your life experiences in some ways right mm. so um so first it's just getting clear on them there are heaps of different tools on the internet that people can use little quizzes and things like that that just help to to get a little clearer and I usually like to say narrow it down to a top five or a top three yeah and then in terms of making steps towards living in alignment with those values I often offer an exercise where you sort of write down each of those values in a list and then you write down all of the ways that your life is currently aligning with those values Mm -hmm. and then you add to that all of the ways that your life is perhaps prohibiting you from being in alignment with those values, whether that's certain relationships or certain habits that you have or behaviours or the language that you're using or whatever it might be. And then to create a a set of very small actionable steps in terms of, you know, maybe setting a one-month, a three-month and a six-month plan. Okay, what are some really, really small actionable steps that I can start to take or swap out certain behaviours for in order to, to sort of progress my way into greater alignment? Because mm-hmm. I often say just because my journey was kind of leaving the corporate world and moving into the wellness industry and whatnot, that won't necessarily, you, you know, some people don't have to take such gra- drastic measures. You know, for yeah. someone who really values, for example, stability, you know, being in a corporate job really in some ways can tick off that value of stability. You mm, know? And so 
it's just it's very personalized and so I think a really huge part of of progressing or moving towards alignment with your values is also the practice of not comparing yourself to other people and yes yeah I really try to emphasize this when I speak about my own values because I you know you can put people on a pedestal and sort of idealize someone else's journey but that in some ways takes you further away from where you need to get to absolutely yeah that is that is such a really um really good point in in the comparison because once you understand your values you actually are less likely to I find compare yourself to other people so you know for me I'm actually an introvert like I'm super introverted I'm like a little hermit so it's like to me for me it's at the top of my values list would would, would to be to spend you know quality time with myself and an idea and an example of me like comparing myself if I see people on Instagram like out partying and I go to myself why aren't you doing that why don't you do that it's like so cruel because it's like I don't want to do that and it wouldn't serve my greater purpose to do that because it's not one of my values so you know your mind can sometimes play little tricks on you sometimes it just kind of goes with the flow and it slips into this whole storyline but if you have a strong understanding of your values you can go wait, 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 hang on, hang on, hold up. We're not doing that because it's not aligned or like, you know, people that, you know, have a different way that they like to exercise and they compare themselves to people who exercise every day. And they're like, why can't I do that? And it's like, if you understand your values, it's, yeah, there is just so much power in that. And you feel, yeah, so much less inclined to waver from your overall direction of where you want to position yourself in this life. So, um, yeah, I love that. That's a really yeah. good point. I, I think it's also important to recognize that values are different to goals. Like values mm. you can think of like the compass, right? Like a value is I'm moving in this direction. And yeah. so that when you know, when you have decisions to make or when mm. you do notice yourself in this kind of comparisonitis, it's it's a reference check. It's like, okay, yeah. does this it, it does this take me in the same direction that I'm moving or does this take me off course? Yeah. And if we think about the value as being the direction or the set of values being the direction, then it just means that every decision we make can just be quickly reference checked against the value set. And if it aligns, yes. yes. And if it doesn't, no. And, you know, I'm such an indecisive person. So I find this mm. practice really, really challenging for myself. And I love a good comparison to someone else, especially yeah. on, on the gram. Yes. And so just to have something in your back pocket, you know, sometimes it's good actually just to keep a note on your phone, just with your list of values and, and, and also a list of goals, perhaps that sit underneath those values, recognizing that you never actually achieve your values. It's a forever moving target, mm. but you can absolutely create goals underneath those values that help you to progress forwards. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good distinction to make. And I think for people, I guess, who are feeling a little bit directionless and they're like, I don't know what my goals are. I don't even know what I want to achieve. Understanding what your values are can really put you in the right um, direction. Because like you said before, you know, some people's ideal life might be starting a family and having kids. To some other people, it's traveling the world and building a business. And both of them are totally beautiful and okay. It's just, um, you know, understanding what's going to light you up. And I guess that brings us back to our question of, you know, how do you cultivate happiness? You know, that's how you do it really is understanding yourself and coming to a point of, you know, self-awareness and building on that self-understanding. Um, do you have any practices that you you, you recommend to clients in order to um, kind of soften the feelings of anxiety or, you know, um, 
you know, feel, feelings that are probably maybe the opposite of what we would identify as happiness. Because, you know, I can imagine as a psychotherapist, I think, I think, I don't know what it is. Maybe some people throw around the word anxiety really lightly, or people literally just have more anxiety these days. Maybe a bit of both, but it's just such a common thing that I hear all the time. People really identify with their feelings of anxiety um, and they they identify themselves as the anxiety. They're not like, oh, I have feelings of anxiety. They're just like, I'm a hot mess. Like I'm, I'm going down with these thoughts. So what's your, um, you know, professional um, advice on how to mitigate these feelings and work through them? Yeah, it's an interesting idea. You know, are people using the word anxiety too lightly or are people just generally more anxious? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and who knows? I do feel more inclined to think the latter. You know, it's, yeah. we're, you know, we're more connected than ever. We're more exposed to anxiety-provoking material and, you know, fear, which is essentially what anxiety is, right? It's, yeah. it's worry. It's worry about something that hasn't happened yet you know, mm-hmm. or, or a forecast or prediction around something that might happen. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's a broad question that you're asking because there are so many different types of anxiety. You know, there mm-hmm. are so many different triggers for anxiety and there are so many different ways that people experience it. But I do think if we boil it down, we can recognise that it is worry about the future or something that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing is to cultivate a practice of presence. Because yeah. if, if anxiety exists in the worry of the future, then how is it that we can help the mind to reorient back to the now? Mm-hmm. Because if we, again, kind of lean into this, this philosophy of yoga or this practice of yoga, recognizing that suffering happens as a response internally rather than what's actually happening around us. Mm. If we can learn to presence our mind and actually to stop forecasting so far into the future or for that fact ruminating on the past and come back to what's happening here and now, we can start to recognize that inherently this moment is okay. And inherently yeah. this this moment is fine. And so you know it's easier said than done though, right? It's like, oh you're feeling super anxious, just be present. yeah 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 I know (laughs) focus on your breath yeah but but in saying that it's also incredibly effective and it's a practice Mm. and it takes time and so that's why if you know for someone who does experience a lot of anxiety to develop something like a yoga practice or a meditation practice or a breathing practice can be really complementary to the treatment of anxiety because Mm. we start to to sort of practice finding presence in moments where we aren't so anxious so that when Mm -hmm. that anxiety does start to peak, we have some sort of reference to come back to or some kind of reminder in the back Mm. of our subconscious that, okay, I know what to do here. Yeah. So, so I guess that's one part of it. Another part of it I would also say is developing a relationship and a dialogue with our bodies because anxiety really is a bodily experience because of a rumination of our mind. Um, If we think about the mind and body, not actually as being two separate processes, but one intertwined process. So the way that we think affects the way that we feel and the way that we feel affects the way that we think. So by just tackling anxiety from a thinking perspective, of course, can be effective, but it's also really important to think of anxiety as a body-based perspective. So Mm. when I'm noticing my body coming into that hyper-aroused state, what tools and practices can I lean on to, to physically attend to my nervous system? Right. And I would say that the, the most direct gateway to that is the breath. 
So the way that we breathe is uh, the direct gateway to the state of our nervous system. So when we notice something like anxiety, which is a hyper arousal of our nervous system, by practicing slow, deep breathing, that's how we can get ourselves back or closer down to balance. Yeah, I love that you touched on the breath because it is something that is so um, overlooked in many cases. And I think, you know, in the past, I have also overlooked it as well because you're like, you give your thoughts so much more power than what they, um, than what's warranted. And you're like, oh, there's no way that just breathing could help me. But you're absolutely, obviously, you know, you're spot on with saying that the breath regulates your whole nervous system, you know, the way you breathe tells your whole body what, what, what's going on, how we're going to act. You know, you could even like, even just breathing, you know, really quickly now, if I just started really breathing, it does cultivate feelings in your body. And if you're aware enough, you do feel that shift in your body. So um, the power of breath is, um, yeah, so powerful. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, it's it's interesting because I feel like a lot of these issues that we encounter, like anxiety or um depression or physical illnesses, while they are very serious and they are, um, you know, they're very real, um, a lot of the ways that we can really tend to them are also so like beautifully simplistic in in many ways, in many ways, you know, there are complexities to it and I'm not, you know, undermining, you know, mental health and all of that because there's some real stuff out there. But, you know, it's just quite... um, it's quite beautiful in the way that we can yeah, tend to them, like with the breath and with movement and um, just in stillness, really, you know? Yeah. And I think another huge factor in that, like, I, I love this idea of it actually being so beautifully simplistic because yeah. in some ways, you know, it can be. And I think that's where the piece of self-awareness really plays in. Mm. And, you know, it's so many of us and and our parents generation and our parents parents generation and and so on and so forth you know no one it's like it's somewhere along the line something went wrong right yeah. and, and yeah. all of a sudden we lost touch with our humanity and what's really important and to be in touch with ourselves and to be connected with others and we started focusing our attention on external things yes yeah and And through that process, because we're living so unconsciously and because we have been living so unconsciously in the West Mm. (laughs) for so long, that anxiety gets passed down from generation to generation very, very Mm. unconsciously. Mm. And it takes, you know, and I think that that's the beautiful thing about this, this movement or this kind of building well-being industries that it's kind mm. of helping people to come back to their own to their own awareness in some ways and mm. to break the cycle and to yeah. be like hang on a second what's actually happening here why am i experiencing this yeah who t- who taught me to think like this who taught me to feel like this what was modeled to me in my family system, what life experiences have I encountered to create this irrational fear of this mm. certain trigger? And through this practice of self-awareness, whether it's through yoga or whether it's through therapy or journaling or whatever else floats your boat, that's what happens. We raise some of these things into our awareness so that we can start to see things a little more clearly mm. and and then lean on these beautifully simplistic practices to start to shift things. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it absolutely does. And it's such a beautiful segue into what, you know, I wanted to touch on with you, which is, you know, how do our belief systems, A, even get implemented, you know, in our mind and in our subconscious? And then how are we able to shift them, which you've answered so beautifully? It's that becoming aware and that becoming still a component um, of of yoga and of meditation and journaling and all these other modalities which allow us to kind of come into contact with um, these thoughts that that we have. And I think there there is so much, um, you know, knowledge still to be shared about our conscious and our subconscious mind and how our families um, thoughts and feelings, how they build our belief system. Um, and God, there's just so much power in, in stopping for a second and, and, and questioning and questioning why you think the way that you, you do. And I think I heard this quote one time, I think it was by Bob Proctor and he was like 80% of people or 90% of people don't think it's just like mind chatter. He's like, there's like 10% of people that actually use their mind for, um, the power that it is there for you know the mind is our creative faculty it's there to help us prosper and to grow and to thrive and 90% of people are on autopilot they're not even really thinking they're just kind of ticking away and they don't even know what they're thinking like they just got you know this conversation happening in their head and then there's the 10% of people who um, have that awareness and they are actually thinking and they're they're using their mind to create a future that they desire rather than continuously living in feelings of anxiety and living in the past and et cetera. So yeah, absolutely. Um, do you recommend to your clients that they, they get into a yoga practice when you're practicing psychotherapy or do you um, kind of keep things quite separate? You know, is it just kind of a bit of a, or do you have programs where you incorporate both of those modalities? Yeah, good question. I, yeah, I get asked this a lot, whether the yoga and the psychotherapy merge with one another. And yeah. Um, not so much, not so much from an out, like from a, of an obvious point of view. I, I would say that, you know, my own yoga practice and my, you know, the practice of yoga really informs who I am as a person and it informs my perspective and my view of the world. And if we think about my therapeutic tool as me, myself, then yeah. in some ways the yoga really does influence how I work as a therapist, mm-hmm. including body-based awareness yeah and recognizing that talk therapy can only get us so far we need Mm -hmm. to be able to incorporate talk therapy with what's happening on a somatic level at the same time and to be able to bring awareness to the way that the mind and the body are are integrating in every moment Mm. I in terms of do I recommend people to I I definitely right re- i recommend that everyone should practice yoga yeah. and i also recommend <laughs> that everyone should go to therapy at some point in their lives too right yeah i don't necessarily recommend that my therapy clients come and practice yoga with me although some of them do already mm-hmm. some people find me as a therapist because i was already teaching them yoga yeah but i do i do recommend that um you know it's such a complementary practice because again like this this idea of talk therapy is amazing and for raising awareness and being able to see things from a higher perspective absolutely because curiosity is always the key right the more curious we can get about our own patterns and our own behavior the more likely we are to see things and to be able to create space for change yeah 
so as a complement to that, to be able to get to know our own bodies and to to be able to create embodied awareness, so not mm. just of what's happening up here in the mind, but actually what's happening through my whole system, then we're going to get to where we want to go faster because we're yep. going to to be working in a more integrated or holistic way. So that's beautiful. Sure. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I also kind of took to close out this um podcast I really wanted to ask you about you know we touched on it a little bit earlier but what is really the impact of our nervous system and our ability to um to move in yoga you know like I've heard a lot about how essentially the nervous system is what keeps our muscles tight and what prevents us from moving and I wanted to know what your thoughts are on that and you know to what degree does our nervous system impact our flexibility and our ability to um, move freely yeah, that's a good question. I mean, if we if you just think of culture and yeah. the way that our culture is built to go full circle on this kind of masculine characteristics of striving and pushing and that, that so many of us are living in a constant state of fight flight, this arousal of sympathetic nervous system. And that that's unsustainable, actually, yeah. you know, to be in this constant state of stress, which is why eventually people experience things like burnout. And for sure, the way that our nervous system, you know, is so embedded inside of us that for sure there's physical, there's physical tension that happens as a result of that. Mm. And the practice of yoga really is about learning how to balance ourselves Right, the just and, and to be able to balance all of the chaos and the stress and the busyness and the tension mm. with the opposite, and and to be able to utilize the breath and rhythmic movement and slowing down to counteract this stimulation of the nervous system and to come back to a state of rest and digest. Mm-hmm. And for sure, I see it all the time with students, particularly male students who come in and they're so stiff and tight. They can barely squat down. They're so far away from their toes. And, again, not that that's what the practice is about at all. Yeah, yeah. from an observational point of view. And then the more that they come and the more that they their mind opens to the possibility of things, you know, that have been previously outside of their conscious awareness, the more they start to soften and when they're cross-legged, their knees start to get a little closer to the ground and their yeah. posture kind of uprights a little bit. And and you can notice it happening in real time, right? The 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 nervous system, you know, being able to to alleviate some of the tension of the body and through practice and repetition and breathing and developing a deeper connection to the body, it's like you start to carry yourself differently. And then mm. you start to become more sensitive to the stress state. So that when you yeah. do move out into the world and your nervous system does start to heighten, it's like, oh, okay, I can feel my state shifting. What do mm-hmm. I need to do here to bring myself back down into balance? Yes, that's amazing. And what an amazing thing to be able to cultivate, to be able to, you know, regulate your nervous system in a way with, you know, a little bit of practice, becoming conscious of the way you're feeling. You can kind of swing the pendulum back to the middle a little bit there. But, um, yeah, it's so interesting because obviously our nervous system and being in that, um, you know, fight or flight mode, it's that that perception of I need to keep my body safe, I need to keep safe, safe, safe. And it's just, um, yeah, there's obviously not a lot of room for your body to release and to be able to, um, you have to kind of almost cultivate that sense of safety and just that trust with your body. So, I mean, yeah, I guess that's another beautiful thing that yoga is able to um 
to offer to people who are interested in trying it. But um, where can people find you? Where are you based? And yeah, what, how can people work with you? Yeah, so um, my uh, yoga business, I run um, international yoga retreats and local yoga retreats um, and I teach public yoga classes in, in Melbourne. So my yoga business is Zoga, as yes. you mentioned at, at the start, which, um, yeah, so people can find me, um, I mean, probably through Instagram is the easiest way, which is Zoe Klein Yoga. And um, yep. there I link to my Zoga business, which again is my retreats um, and some other yoga things. And then from a psychotherapy point of view, I have a separate business called loop Wellbeing. amazing um, so people can find me there either at the instagram or the website and uh, i'm currently currently working 100 on zoom actually with all of my therapy clients um, that's great do have an office in melbourne but i'm sort of between spaces at the moment so um that's a bit tbc but uh yeah, yeah. that's awesome i'm gonna have to come and do a yoga class because i am based in melbourne whereabouts in melbourne is your studio well, I live on the Mornington Peninsula, actually, Gosh. so I, I teach down here, but then I also spend a lot of time up in the city still, so I kind of swing between many different studios at the moment. So, yeah, yeah. to my Instagram, I'm always posting updates on where I'm going to be. I love it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and I'm going to pop all your links of where to find Zoe below and, um, yeah, get in touch if you have got any queries for her. So thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Pleasure.